just a, a little recap from from last week. We spent time in the garden with Adam and Eve, and and we took away three different tools that we can use to help guard ourselves against falling into temptation. Um, we also obviously learned that we want to heed God's warnings because his warnings are given to us for our benefit, and so we want to do that. And so if you happen to miss last week's message, you can pull it up either on our Facebook page or online um, on our website and, and just look for the message titled Warning. So I just wanted to, to give you that because it leads into today's message. This, as we saw in the garden through God's word, the fall of, of Adam and Eve and, and obviously resulting in the fall of mankind as well, we know that Adam and Eve and the serpent all suffered consequences because of their sin. And, and as if you read further in chapter 3, you'll see that, that God um, had different curses that, that fell on them because of their sin. And we know that their actions, of course, had an impact on creation, all of creation, which includes all of humanity, which includes all of us. And so I think as we dive into today's message, it's, it, it's going to help us to, to know that even though God pronounced those curses, he also hinted to a promise. A promise that he was going to fulfill. And that promise was demonstrating God's desire to restore his relationship with humanity. And so 2,000 years after the fall of mankind, 400 years after the flood, in a world that had now lapsed into idolatry and, and wickedness, God starts to put his fulfillment of the promise into motion, the provision of redemption for mankind. And so as we continue our series, The 52 Greatest Stories, this morning, today's title for the message is Promise of a Nation. Promise of a Nation. And we're taking the titles from the chapters and applying them to our Sunday morning messages. And there's a reason for that. It's what I just spoke about, is if you happen to miss a Sunday here in church and you want to pull it up online, you're going to know what the title is because it's going to correspond with the chapter that you read, and so you can kind of track that way. But I thought about the title this morning, and, and for us, it, it seems like it would actually be more appropriate, a promise of a hope, a promise of a hope. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 12 to start out this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But it's here in Genesis chapter 12 that we start to see God's plan unfolding through one man. God called Abram. He later renamed Abram to Abraham when, when God had brought him to a specific and a significant point in his life. But to simplify today's message, we're, we're just going to primarily call him Abraham. There will be some text that will have Abram, but we're going to call him Abraham so you can track a little easier. But God calls Abraham with a distinctive directive followed by th a three-part promise. So before we read our text this morning, just the first four verses of chapter four or chapter 12, let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. 
Lord, even though it's been written thousands of years ago, it still applies to our lives today. And so, Lord, we just pray that your word would go forth for the purpose in which you intended. And, Lord, that we would leave impacted and changed by your word this morning. And we thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, starting with verse 1 in, in Genesis chapter 12, it reads, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. 75 years old, Abraham is. God told him to leave it all behind and go. It reminds me in a very, very small way of when I felt called to the ministry and started my schooling and all that stuff and got to the point where now we've got to go down to Minneapolis to finish up. And, and honestly, people thought we were crazy. People who had lived up here all our, all our lives, why are you going down to the cities? Well, for Abraham, it wasn't a matter of why. It was a matter of where. So put yourselves in, in, in Abraham's sandals. God tells you to leave. You start packing up. Your relatives catch wind that you're packing up. And they start to stop by and ask some questions like, you taking that grinder with you to where you're going? No, that's not what they'd be saying. They wouldn't be looking for possessions, no. They would be asking the question, where are you going? Where are you going? And the response, of course, for Abraham would have been, I don't know. And they'd look at him and say, you mean you're leaving, but you don't know where you're going. And he'd say, nope. I just know I'm supposed to go. People would have thought he was nuts. But Abraham did just that. He packed up and he left. And so we can take some things away as we look through just these four verses. And of course, I hope you've read at least chapter 12. And, and if you want to read after service today, you can go all the way to verse 24 in Genesis and you can read about Abraham's life. But through the call of Abraham, God was establishing the important principle that his people were to separate themselves from all that hinders his purpose for their lives. 1 Corinthians, uh, I don't have the, the verse down here. I don't know if it's up on the screen or not. But in 1 Corinthians, there's a verse that similarly says that as well. It says, therefore, having promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I don't know if any of you know that I'm a, a chaplain for Cass County Sheriff's Office. And we have annual trainings and stuff like that. And, and a couple years ago, we had Teen Challenge come in, and they went through and explained their program and, and all of those things, and a great program. Um, in fact, we're going to have them coming in October um, to uh, do a service, as they have in the past. And 
But through this training, one of the things that they said that, that they, they basically encourage every um, recovering a client to, to do is to separate themselves from the people of influence that had led them to live a life that obviously was the wrong road for them. Wrong road for everybody, but really got some tripped up. And so they, were to, they always recommend, separate yourself from those people. And that's what God was doing here with Abraham. Because God called Abraham out of his current place and, and out of the, away from his current peoples because they were filled with idolatry and wickedness. And God needed to separate Abraham and send him to another location so that he could fulfill his purposes through him. Secondly, God promised Abraham three things. A land, a great nation through his descendants, and a blessing that would affect all the nations of the earth. Through the call of Abraham, God intended to have a man who would know and serve him with devoted faith. A man who would impart his faith to his family, with his family, of course, eventually expanding into a nation. And we're going to see that nation develop further next week. But this nation through Abraham, chosen and set apart by God to be distinct from all other nations, because they're going to be the carriers of the revelation and blessing of God. So he needed to separate them, set them apart. Third, God's promise of a land was not just an earthly land, but also a heavenly one. You know, we can be so short-sighted as human beings, and that's just part of our nature. Because we only see the ground underneath our feet. But God was looking far beyond the physical land that God had called Abraham to. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9, 9 starts out with, And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for a country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, of course, these words, if you're familiar with where Hebrews lies in the Bible, it's in the New Testament. And because of that, of course, author of Hebrews could see all of this unfolding. But I don't think that Abraham had a clue at that time of what God's call actually meant, of how it was going to impact all of humanity. Nevertheless, Abraham pressed on in faith. But just because Abraham was following God didn't mean that all things went well. They experienced a famine in the land. I heard a chuckle, and I echo that chuckle. It doesn't always mean that things are going to go well. See, Abraham could have gone back, though. He could have. But he chose to continue to trust God, to remain faithful. The fourth thing we can take away is the call of Abraham contained not only promises, but obligations. God required both obedience from Abraham and personal commitment to him as Lord in order to receive what was promised. 
obedience commitment evidenced by trusting in God's word, even when fulfillment of the promises had appeared humanly impossible. Abraham and his wife Sarah were well beyond childbearing years, coupled with the well-known fact that Sarah was barren. So what was the probability of Abraham having a child, just one child, let alone enough descendants to become as numerous as the stars in the sky? Now, obviously, in northern Minnesota, we have an opportunity to look at the skies, and there's no way we're going to count all the stars. And yet this is what God had promised Abraham. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. How likely did that seem to Abraham when he had a barren wife of 75, and he was 75 years old. She was a little bit younger. Seemingly not possible. Sarah even laughed at the notion. But Abraham trusted God's word. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 says, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. Abraham obeyed God's command to go. Obedience and commitment also included, though, a sincere endeavor to live a righteous life. Abraham nephew Lot, the first choice of land, when it was determined that they needed to separate for the sake of, of sustenance and also of unity. Abraham also built altars and worshipped and prayed to God, even while living as an alien among the pagans. Did Abraham live a life of righteousness perfectly? No. He told half-truths about his relationship with his wife Sarah, multiple times to save his skin. Did he trust God each step of the way without faltering? No. He took matters into his own hand on hands on one, more than one occasion. But he demonstrated a sincere endeavor to live a righteous life. You know, sometimes I think we can forget that the biblical recording of real people's lives in the word of God was not given with the notion, with the idea that they were perfect. It isn't given with the expectation that we're going to emulate every aspect of their lives. Sure, we can live, learn from their, their examples as they lived out their lives, but an even greater lesson for us is that we can learn through the people's lives as God reveals himself to them, he's also revealing himself to us. And it's God giving Abraham a role in his story, using his life as an illustration of how we should respond to God's promises because of how we respond to God's promises is going to determine what God does in one's life. It's a story of faith. Genesis 15:6 says, And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteousness, because of his faith. It was God who graciously gave his promise to Abraham, and Abraham responded with faith in receiving the promise, believing God for the promise, and then walking in obedience. The author of the book of James wrote this of Abraham. And I have to say, I love that if you go through the New Testament, how many different books 
talk about Abraham's life and encourage you to explore that. But in, in James chapter 2, verse 22, James wrote this. He says, you see his faith in regards to Abraham. His faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. Abraham's obedience is not why God counted him as righteousness. But faith and obedience do work together. It never works the other way around. It would only lead to our boasting. If we would have the works first and then the faith, that's only going to lead to us boasting. Like somehow our efforts are what made us right with God. Romans chapter 4 says this, starting with verse 1. It says, Abraham was humanly speaking the founder of our Jewish nation. nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. What we read in scripture is Abraham entered into what God was doing for him and that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. See, I think this is where sometimes people can get tripped up. They start thinking that in order to be saved, they have to do something to earn it, to try and prove their worth to God, to make a promise to be a better person. But we're not saved by making promises to God. Rather, we're saved by believing God's promises to us. It's been said, when you walk by faith, you lean on God alone. His word, his character, his will, and his power. You trust his promises. Continuing on, picking up in verse 17 with Romans chapter 4. It says, we call Abraham father, not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Isn't that what we've always read in scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as a father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do. Raise the dead to life and with a word make something out of nothing. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to, not, to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he was made father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, it's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body could never father a child, nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he had said. That's why it is said, Abraham was declared fit before God by trusting God to set him right. But it's not just Abraham. It's also us. The same thing gets said about us when we embrace and believe the one who brought Jesus to life when the conditions were equally hopeless. The sacrifice Jesus made us fit for God, set us right 
with God. This is the redemptive plan that God set into motion through Abraham, the promise that he had hinted of in the garden when he had declared the curses upon those that had sinned, that all nations would be blessed through Abraham's descendants. And it is through Abraham's family tree that Jesus Christ was born to redeem humanity. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of faith. Promise of a hope. Hope only found in Christ Jesus by faith. Reading from our companion book, the author writes this. He says, hope is vital to existence. And the truth about people is that because we cannot live without hope, we do not live without hope. We all have hope. The issue is with which we must all come to terms with is where we place it, where we place our hope. He continues with, put your hope in another human being and you'll be let down. Put your hope in your children and you'll be let down. Health, wealth, job, status, house, car, golf game, even church. None of these are designed to bear the weight of your hope. Only God can fill that role. The God of hope gives us hope in the form of a promise and a track record of faithfulness that remains unbroken for thousands of years. He may have let Abraham and Sarah sweat it out for a little while, but he never let them down. God doesn't just offer hope and sustain hope, though. He actually becomes our hope the only kind of hope that can see us through the really tough stuff in this life. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promise, the promise that we receive by faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's through Christ, a descendant of Abraham, that God fulfills his promise. Through his virgin birth, sinless life, sacrificial death, resurrection, that's why we now can be filled with hope. And we belong to Christ through faith. Receive the fullness of the promise when we believed and trusted in Christ Jesus. The question that we have to wrestle with today Actually, there's a few questions, but for for some of you, it's, will you put your trust in him? And this is the trusting in him for the first time, that through faith, asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, to forgive you for your sins as you come to him with a repentant heart of turning from your own ways and earnestly seeking to live a righteous life, to walk in obedience to him. You can do that today. In a moment, we're going to, close with a song together that we're going to sing. And and, and I encourage you, if, if, if you haven't placed your hope in, in Christ through faith, that today you'd take that opportunity to just whisper that commitment to God. It doesn't have to be any particular special words. It comes from the heart. God knows our heart, and you just come before him and commit your life to him, asking him to be Lord of your life. It's a matter of 
faith in God's promise, just like Abraham. Others of us, of course, maybe need the reminder to continue to trust and obey God in all situations. Some of you are walking through some difficult things right now. Keep trusting in the Lord. It might seem impossible right now for him to make good on that promise to you because of your circumstances, but we want to remember that all things are possible with God. Even when it seems like God isn't answering, even when there seems like there may be more expedient ways for us to take care of a situation, if God has promised you something, don't take matters into your own hands. Wait on God. Remain obedient. God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher. And he has a track record of being forever faithful. So keep trusting. Keep believing. Keep obeying whatever it is that God has said that he will do. Others of us maybe need to be reminded that just like Abraham, as followers of Jesus, we too live as foreigners. We don't talk about that a whole lot. But this world is not our home. It's just a temporary place for us to dwell, just like it was with Abraham. We too live as foreigners. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 uh, through 12, I'm going to borrow these words from Eugene Peterson from the message. But he says this, he says, Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. We are to live lives that are separate from the immorality and the idolatry I think about where our world is right now with there always needing to seemingly to be two sides and the arguments go back and forth. And I think, what if the church would live lives differently? Because the immorality, the idolatry, the name-calling, the bickering back and forth, all of that, can end up being sin taking on many subtle shades, but it's still sin. And we want to sincerely endeavor to live righteous lives. Because more than, than ever before in our nation, we see that a righteous life would certainly stand well apart from what we typically see. That the values... Uh, or, or living a life that, that, that we value human life, whether, whether they agree with us or not, we still value them as human beings and we treat them respectfully. That is going to stand us apart from the world. Endeavor to live a righteous life because it will win people to Christ and they then will celebrate with us when we leave this earth and we go to our eternal home. All who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing that Abraham received because of his faith, eternal life through Christ, our living hope. And so we're going to close our, our message um, service portion with a song. This 
this morning. And so you can stand if you want. If you want to remain seated, that's perfectly fine. But Christ is our living hope. It's through faith that we receive the promise that God offered to us. between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness saw through shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written Jesus Christ my living hope who could
We saw in the garden that all was lost, seemingly, when humanity fell and was separated from God. But God hinted to a promise given through one man that all nations would be blessed. The promise of the living hope answered, fulfilled in Christ Jesus our Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope, the promise received by faith. You've done all the work. We just have to believe the promise and receive Christ as our Savior. Obedience will be coupled with that because we want to be obedient out of gratitude for what you've done for us. But it's by faith that it is credited to us as righteousness just as it was for Abraham. Lord, help us to live lives of righteousness so that others will believe in the promise that you desire that all would receive and believe. Help us to live according to your ways. Help us to live lives separated from this world so that the world would know that there is a better way, a way of faith in believing the promise. We thank you, Lord. Help us to live as you would have us to live, to fulfill what it is that you want to fulfill in and through us because of the faith that we have in Christ. May you be glorified, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.